It's a trap! Hello and welcome to Radio TCX, your semi-irregular source for X-Wing news and strategy. And obfuscated game advantages. Uh, I'm Tim Dugan, and I'm joined as often by, not always, I guess at this point, uh, by John McDermott. Hello, everybody. And Carson Ray. Hey, everyone. Uh, Today, finally, is a great day to talk about some (laughs) X-Wing. It's been, guys, when did we last record? I want to say it was November. November. The the right. layer of dust on my microphone um, is, is a good indicator. We probably need to apply some carbon dating you're, to figure that one out. You're measuring it like the rings in a tree, like to see how long it's been. <laughs> At least three months. Uh, so we are we are back here podcasting about some X-Wing. Um, and I think a couple things have happened uh, since the last episode that we recorded. Um, obviously, we saw the release of X-Wing 2.5 edition, as it's known now, uh, officially, I would say, right? Because they, they called it that in the live stream, 2.5. Um, so we have the full rules release here. Um, and that came along with a surprise change to squad building. Um, and we have a lot to go over here. And I know uh, a decent amount of our listeners have been curious to hear our thoughts on all these substantial changes that have come to the game and we're going to go over that today as well as answer a bunch of uh listener questions i reached out earlier today and a lot of people were kind enough to ask us some really great questions so man there's a lot to talk about i mean i guess they've been waiting long enough we shouldn't keep them waiting any longer yeah let's get into it all right, so this one's going to be a little different than, uh, well, it'll be similar, I guess, to our last episode, but a little different than the usual format. There is so much to talk about here, and I don't know if we're going to want to split this into a ton of different episodes. So we're going to cover a lot of content today. So if you are looking for a fly better length podcast, we will get close to half of that, I think. Don't worry, it will still be edited, though. <laughs> Some shade at Ryan and D there. No, we, we like those guys. Right. And, and so usually our episodes tend to be, you know, Minnesota commute length. They might be a bit more Colorado, California commute length uh, today. Yeah. So uh, let's get into it, guys. So we'll jump around a little bit here, but we'll obviously cover all the big points in and I'll throw in some listener questions every once in a while. Uh, I think the big one to start with is the new squad building rules. So we're not going to go in detail on every little rules change here. We'll, we'll hit them as they come up contextually. Um, but squad building saw a big surprise change. So obviously we are no longer working on a 200-point system that's shared between pilots and upgrades. We now have a 20-point system for pilots and then a loadout system. So after you get your pilot in your 20-point squad, they have a set amount of loadout points, which is how you equip upgrades on there. Uh, and beyond that, obviously, we also saw a massive change to upgrade slots across all ships. So uh, how surprised were you guys to see this change? Um <clears throat> Very. I think what really shocked me was going to fewer numbers. Right. Like a a restructured system, like balancing or not having to balance ships and upgrades, I I guess is fine. Um, But starting from first edition and and realizing the constraints of granularity with the 100 point system, like made me pretty excited to move to 200 points. Um, when second edition came out and kind of have a lot of hesitation seeing um, that shift to um, a 20 point system. Like it's just things are going to be tied at value. 
a, a lot more. Well, and I was kind of assuming, and you guys can kind of, was this your opinion too, that the reason they brought it to 20 points was they're trying to bring it in line with the new scenario point system, right? Because that's also based on a 20-point scale. So that way there's overlap there for scoring mission points in scenarios. Do you think that's, I mean, I feel like that's the main motivator for switching to this system, right? Because it seemed kind of arbitrary otherwise. Seems weird to change an old system for the new one um, when you could easily just change the scale of your new system. John, did you, how do you feel about this change? Um, so at first I was intrigued by it. I thought, you know, at, at first glance, it seemed to make list building easier, but the longer I stared at it, the more issues I found with it. Um, I think, I, I don't know how, how deep you want to dive into it right away, but I, one of the things that I find myself thinking about a lot now um, is the like the variable point cost system that they had mm-hmm. introduced in 2.0, um, which done now. it is gone. I thought they were doing a good job with it. Like it made sense on the upgrades that they had variable point costs for. Um, and I, I, I get what they were trying to do with the, like the loadout system of building ships. Um, the problem is that now every upgrade is slightly variable in its cost because an upgrade's cost in one loadout is not the same. It doesn't have the same value in another loadout on a different ship, if that makes sense. And and upgrades were always kind of that way, but I I feel it more now than I think I did before. Right, because the opportunity cost shifts a little bit. So before, when you're on like a 200-point scale, the opportunity cost comes from your whole list of what's available. So like if you're going to spend eight points on an upgrade, that comes from your 200-point scale. Now mm-hmm. it's relative to the ship. So if your ship right. has a loadout value like Luke Skywalker of like 28 or whatever, and most upgrades doesn't really matter. You can throw what you want on there. But if it's the same chassis, like another X-Wing, and it only has a loadout value of six, like suddenly getting a hull upgrade is really expensive because that's a huge percentage of your available upgrades. And, and I liked um, that in 2.0, different ships, maybe by initiative or by pilot, had different upgrade bars. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's completely arbitrary now. Um, I, I dislike that there's just, it seems like there's no consistency among chassis about what upgrades ships can take. I, I, that's a little bit of, you know, kind of a dramatic statement. But I mean, if you look at some of the ships, like, you got TIE fighters that can take cannons now. Okay, so why right. is the TIE brute special then? Like that was the TIE cannon chassis. And then you have things like the like fifth brother and the TIE advanced prototype who can take a cannon when the other ones can take missiles. Like Which thematically it doesn't wild. make sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Like why can Iden Versio take a cannon on her TIE fighter? Yeah, and it's interesting. So some of the changes too, it seemed like for slots did seem a little more thematic. So like I think there were a few in there where you could kind of track where they were coming from. But yeah, like those cannon slot changes seemed kind of arbitrary. And I th- I don't know. It's 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 such a weird new system. I can't say that I like dislike it. There's a lot of the changes I'm really not a fan of at all. Um, this one just seemed more arbitrary to me. Where I understand maybe from the new player perspective where. If you're looking at things from a very simple lens, it's easier, I would say, to take 20 points, pick which ships I want to fly, and then decide how to load them out. That's maybe a little bit easier of a flow than having to make all those decisions on the front end of like, I pick these ships, and then I load them out with upgrades. Oh, I've spent too many points. I have to cut back now. Oh, I have to change a pilot because they're too expensive. So I think in that regard, like if you were like really fresh coming into the system, that would maybe be a little easier to comprehend, where it's like, oh, I have 20 points on ships to spend. I'll pick out these five ships 
I, I do have to say, I think the one thing about squad building that I almost overwhelmingly like is that um, configs and titles are free and that only specific pilots can take them. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, so that is interesting because like you wouldn't expect any... And what they argued was, I think this was on one of the live streams, that like not any person flying the YT-1300 is going to be flying a Millennium Falcon, right? Because that's just a singular ship. So thematically, I can understand where that's coming from. Um, I think from the rules perspective and the game balance perspective, they that does <laughs> introduce some issues. Like uh, I think every title, as far as I could see, I think is free now, except for like the B-Wing title. The Blade Wing right, yeah. one, I think, costs one. Um, but they're all free now, which means if they were kind of the more substantial titles, like you look at something like the Moldy Crow title, um, that one has a dramatic effect because it actually affects, like, your weapon, gives you a new weapon value and makes the ship generally better. That cost is rolled into the ship cost. And when I, w- I actually wanted to include uh, Kyle Katarn um, in the list I was playing the other day, and I was like, oh, I'm not paying, what, I think it is, like, six squad points or something for Kyle Katarn, even if I get the Moldy Crow there. So there's no way to now cost the titles outside of it being something that the ship has access to. And and so that's like a part of list building that I really enjoyed was that like balancing act of, well, I want to include these ships, but like I need to cut down on upgrades to get more ships or I want all these upgrades. So I have to cut back on ships. Like that was a list building challenge. I really enjoyed. And, And as someone who did use quite a bit of upgrades, I think, in most of my lists. Like, this new system does sort of support that, but it feels like, I don't know, like maybe my my snowflake um, <laughs> taking all the upgrades is, is kind of gone. Um, like, what are your guys' thoughts on that that balance? Like, do you like that they're just put in different categories in list building, or do you wish they weren't? Well, I think one criticism I've heard of the 20-point system with the loadout values that I think is pretty fair in that it really does limit player options because, you know, when we'd list build back in the day, that would be a deci- an interesting decision point in building a list is, oh, do I go with a lower tier pilot to get those points so I can put upgrades on a better ship? Or, like, do I want to load out proton torpedoes or not because they're so expensive? Well, now, like, you don't even have that option on, like, generic ships for the most part. They can't get the high-value ordinance. Like, that's not an option for you. Um, and, like, thematically, I think the justification of, well, you wouldn't give the most expensive things to the most generic pilots. Like, I, games can't just be built on theme like that. I think game balance is a bigger factor for me. I've always been a big... I'm a big fan on gameplay over theming, as Carson's been frustrated by for many years now um yeah it's it's weird because i'm i I feel like i was a a very competitive x-wing player but i'm like very big on theme as well (laughs) but i i I feel like i i think there is a loss like the loss of granularity there is felt i think in a pretty big way and i know they say they're trying to address it one thing they mentioned in their uh update article that they released with all the changes and this is a quote pulled from there ships that have a stronger pilot ability but are in the same bracket quote-unquote, of squad points as another ship have a weaker pilot value um, will usually come out to have a lower loadout value. Um, and this is true, and it isn't, and this has been a point huh. of contention for people. So, And I, I was I had to ponder this for a little while to understand, because if you go right now and you pull up uh, Launch Bay Next or Yasby, um, which also I need to shout out because we're no, they're no longer officially supporting any squad building apps, so... I mean, Andre Lin's work on Launch Bay Next and Stephen Kim's work on yet another squad builder 
is now a vital part of this game. Like, I don't think the game is as playable without those. Um, well, I would say it never wasn't a vital part of this game. Well, right. The Squad Builder um, app was, the official the, one was never great. They've basically been the two torchbearers carrying um, X-Wing for a few years now. But anyway, so but back to my point, though, that's an aside. You should go support those those folks, though, if you uh, have not. Um, but going back to the loadout values and so there is you can see this pattern that they describe here in the article when you look at like the named pilots of the same ship value. Um, so oftentimes there'll be variants depending on their pilot abilities or like maybe if they're it only really applies if they're in the same tier. Otherwise, if they're like Luke Skywalker and they cost a ton more squad points, they're just going to have a crazy loadout value because um, you've invested a lot. What you don't see is over on the generic side, even if they cost the same squad points as like a named pilot, usually the named pilot has more like loadout points, like sometimes dramatically so. And people have been confused by this because the article seems to indicate that it would go the other direction. Um, but right. as I as I looked at how they had done it, it's pretty clear that I think what a lot of people are expecting is that the loadout system there is to balance every ship, but it's actually a mix of balancing ships but also curating what ships you can fly so it is pretty clear looking across all factions and all the point values they've released that they are trying to encourage people to use kind of the mid-tier named pilots so in any case where you can like choose a ship that costs i don't know four points there's probably a named pilot option that you're gonna pick over a generic just because there is no advantage really to taking the generic does that speak to a bit of disconnect in what their um, AMG is putting forth in their announcements versus the execution there? Or are we just misreading that? I think in general, there's been somewhat of a disconnect between what their message is and what we actually get, right? So the, the whole point, at least their point of the loadout system was to help get rid of archetypes. That was one thing they did talk about in one of their streams was that you'd see dominating list types out there um, but I mean, people are very quickly going to figure out what the dominating loadout is for different ships. And then that's what you're going to see. So like the methodology really doesn't meet the outcome and that's hard to do in balance because, you know, people will do what they can to abuse the game and find some of the most broken results. And that's not necessarily always a bad thing, but like, they're not, they're just trying to solve a problem but they're creating a different problem in the midst of doing so. Yeah, and I, I think that's a recurring thing, theme. I think people on either if you're really excited about the new rules or um, really opposed to the new rules, um, you got to remember that there's generally not a perfect fix for anything in game design. There's going to be trade-offs that come, right? So there might be an issue that is worth a bunch of maybe small negative trade-offs or big trade-offs because the issue is such a problem to the game. And I think um, Atomic Mass Games has indicated that there were several things about existing X-Wing 2.0 that they saw as big enough problems to warrant substantial changes. But of course, those changes are going to come with side effects. So I think like a loss of granularity in squad building is a side effect of this big change that they wanted to introduce. And you're going to see, I, I mean, I think in, in my discussion of all these things too, I'm going to talk about side effects a lot too. Um, the changes that have come. I think, you know to pivot a little bit because it's related to squad building um in theory i always really enjoyed the idea of the ban list i think you know in a format where you want to try to limit things and try to avoid completely broken combos that's the easiest way to do it just say you know cards a b and c 
are not valid in this format. You can't use them anymore. And, you know, they did that right off the bat by saying we want to ban all cards that have anything to do with viewing or changing dials. And, and I liked that methodology. It's very clean. That's a simple solution. You know, the, the theory matches the outcome. Um, and I liked right. that. Uh, but I'm, I'm nervous to see where it goes from here just based on what I've seen in the squad building changes. Well, and I think in in the work that AMG is doing um, with the game, where they are essentially, I mean, in a lot of ways, building a different game out of existing game components, um, there are some going to be some big side effects to that. I think one that we've seen is that, you know, the Delta 7B title got banned, and now Delta 7B is just alternate pilot cards to that ship, which I understand why they needed to do that given their new rule set, but there's going to be weird things like that where, well, since the game, when these cards were made, this was not the squad building rule set here. There's going to be some substantial changes now where you have to go, you know, print out new pilot cards to accommodate those changes, which I mean, like, I mean, there's a ton of errata in these new rules. So I, if you're trying to stay up to date, you're going to be ending up printing out a, a bunch of different cards. But that's just another one of those, like, when you're building a new game out of old game components, you're going to have to, you're going to hit some blockers like that. I think the ban list, though, I don't know, like, I'm not in the position that X-Wing 2.0 was perfect by any means. It's a game I love. But um, I think one thing they didn't do a great job of for their standardized formats was curating things. And it seems like AMG is trying to... They haven't exactly said it, but it seems like they're trying to curate the environment a little bit more. Yeah. Right. The, although I will say those are more like competitive-focused things, um, like having a ban list. Like I, I don't think that's necessarily... I, I right. think that's actually something that um does drive new players away of like oh this is a like competitive squad i'm gonna buy into this squad and then it gets banned um <laughs> as, as someone who's like trying to like did at some point like try to get into competitive magic formats and then you know you buy a deck and then that card gets banned like that does get you to walk away from a game and, and so like a ban list can be great for keeping a healthy competitive environment um but it should be used sparingly um because too much of it means, okay, well, we just have to keep buying new things because you make these new cards that are powerful, but then you keep banning them. Like, there is definitely a road where, like, that does become a negative. I, I think right now it, it's a positive, and it's something I think we've wanted for a long time. It's so interesting to me because I think, I, mean, I don't want to speak for you two, but I think of the three of us I've played the most since all these changes have come out. Um, I, I think can guarantee that's true. In I'll, 2.0, I'll wager a bet that's true. <laughs> in 2.0, it seemed like the, I don't know, we talked about this a lot on the show. I think the, at least in my opinion, what I saw in my community groups is that the overwhelming amount of people wanted to play Extended because they wanted to use all their toys. Mm -hmm. And now that 2.5 is out, people are opting to play Standard. And I wonder if that's just a product of the loadouts and having, you know, now you can play five ships and have, umpteen amounts of cards in every ship people would rather have a limited pool because it makes it easier to list build um i just find that shift very interesting personally actually that kind of segues a little bit into one of the talking points i wanted to bring up was um so a big point of conversation was about accessibility um in this game specifically like how can new players get into this game um and a lot of people have been saying you know people who are against the rules changes arguing that like well the game's way more complicated now it's really hard for new players to get in and other people argue that actually no it's not really any more complicated it's just different so if you're new same deal. Do you, what do you guys feel about specifically the rule changes and the squad building changes? Do you think the game 
game is generally more accessible to new players or less accessible to new players? I think, obviously you're asking for an opinion, which is fine, and I'll give it, but I think it's dangerous as... No opinions, ex- John, only fact. <laughs> experienced, experienced players, I think conceptually, just can't fundamentally understand what it's like to be a new player and that's because we all started playing at different points in the game the three of us started in first edition so we have kind of a predisposed idea of what the game used to be and what it is now um so to ask experienced players if the game is or is not accessible for new players i think is a loaded question Mm -hmm. um because i don't think we can put ourselves in that mindset um but i if if you came up to me on the street right now and said hey is x-wing more or less accessible i would say it's less accessible I would say I'm not sure, but I will say I think accessibility or retaining new players was an issue of Mm -hmm. 2.0. Absolutely. Like, I think we had more players in first edition. Um, And and even, I think, beginning of second edition, there was a decent amount of players. Um, It is, I mean, I don't know. I didn't really see anybody in person for the last you know, but year what or two. Was, is what um, drove people away from second edition. The fact that there was a cost associated with transferring their collections. Cause that's the sense that I got. It wasn't the gameplay. It was that people had to pay to make their collections usable, which is a different argument, I think. Right. But, but like, I think the player base from the beginning of second edition to the end of second edition was overall smaller. Sure. Um, and, and so that does speak to their was an issue that needed to be addressed. Um, hasn't been fixed? I don't know. Well, and, and this is a fact. I think it's a reality of second edition was that it was not... Fantasy Flight, when they were doing the game, didn't never did a really good job of making the game accessible for new players, especially in the way they like, handled the hyperspace format, which really should have been, and early on seemed like it was going to be the format where it really only had content that was released in second edition. And then as soon as they threw, I think it was like TIE Interceptors into hyperspace, which was not a ship that was released at the time. As soon as they threw that in there, like suddenly, oh, if I want to use this ship that other people are using in this format, I have to go find a first edition one and get the conversion kit content for it. Mm. So I think accessibility has been an issue pretty much the entire lifespan of second edition. I feel like second edition was very much targeted at people who were already playing first edition. Like the conversion kits were great because it just gave you all the content, but they were contingent on you already having all the models and other supplies. Right. There's sort of like a a double-edged sword of like, well, the players who've you know, uh, bought and everything and, and been playing for a while, like they want the meta games to be shooken up so that they can play new things and, and mm-hmm. you know, not be bored. But the new players, like they, they invest in a squad and, and get, you know, um, get to know it a bit, like shouldn't be forced into having to constantly change squads. Right. Um, which um, is definitely something we saw quite a bit in second edition. Um and hopefully we don't see as much moving forward because because I think that is like w- whether it's a ban list or, or points updates or squad building changes, um, anything that just, OK, here's my list that I thought was good, invested in, it gets invalidated. That's. That's really dangerous for retaining new players. Well, and, and so my take on the rules portion of it when people are arguing, I don't think X-Wing 2.5, like the rules-wise, if this was the first X-Wing you were learning, I don't think it's particularly more complicated. You'd than never know previous. the difference. No, you, you don't know anything beforehand. I think right now, literally what the main barrier for new players is, is it would be so confusing right now if you did not already have an existing connection to the game. Like if you were yep. really coming in 
totally blind to how the game was played and you just bought a corset and you bought some ships, your box, it would all work right out of the box when you played at home. And then if you go to a game night, oh, we use a different point scale now and we only play in these scenarios and you have to go download these PDFs. Not that, I mean, I'm sure Atomic Mass Games is going to be working to release all like the, you know, objective tokens presumably will be released in the future in some official product not just the multiplayer's expansion. But it would be actually be hard. And like I know people can argue with this because there's always, you know, when you're building a community, there's always an element in that you need existing players to encourage and foster the community, which is always going to be true. Um, but it would be really discouraging out of the box where you show up to a game night, you hear they're playing X-Wing, and maybe you can't even fly your ships, right? Um, and I don't know if a, a great job has been done of like there should be a resource page, like if you're new to X-Wing on a on AMG's website or something like, like a start here thing. Yeah, like start if are you new to X-Wing, start here and then they can do a, a summary and I mean they just need to update their website overall cuz it's a little sad looking right now. <laughs> well, and understatement. What's frustrating is that that start here What's frustrating is that that start here was the core set. I mean, yeah, there were a lot of rules changes and things that were introduced after the 2.0 core set was released, but you could pick up that box and you could play you know, a small scaled game of X-Wing and mm -hmm. get the core fundamentals of the game. You can't do that now because, right. you know, you would have to know to go to AMG's website and download the new rules and FAQ and errata and understand how obstacles work now. And like all of that was relatively unchanged from, you know, up until 2.5 from when that core set was released. So well, like I've seen that argument a couple times where people are saying that the core set was never really a valid way to get into the game. And I, I dislike that argument and I think it's not true. It's not a perfectly scaled way to get into the game, but you could at least learn the fundamentals and then you could attribute that to a larger game, but you can't do that now. At least that's how I feel about it. Yeah, it's it's wild to have a a, a new rule set like to do this dramatic of a change and not have a um new corset to match that like that's that is wild well and right the assumption is that i mean i would assume probably one of the earliest products that actually comes from atomic mass games because as of yet we haven't really seen any regular releases that have actually been developed by them because it just takes such a long amount of time and they've only had the game for you know x amount of time now it takes a long time to produce that stuff especially in the gaming environment right now um i think early product I would expect to see would probably be a new core set that includes all the objective markers and explains where to go for all the rules updates. I think in the immediate future, and I think it was uh, Matt Holland who brought this up because, I mean, he used to work for Fantasy Flight Games. Um, I saw him talking on Facebook about, like, they need to update the actual Fantasy Flight Games website. Because right now, if you bought content, it's going to direct you to a squad builder that will presumably be very defunct in the near future. And if you go to Fantasy Flight's website, it has all their old documentation on it for the game. Like, at minimum, he pointed out that they should point those things to Atomic Mass Games' website. And that should have happened at the release ago. of... I mean, yeah, I mean, earlier than that, but at least at the release of these new rules. So, um, I don't know if this is going to be a huge issue in the near future, because people are still kind of getting back into the game store vibe right now. So, I... But uh, presumably, it will be an issue eventually when you're trying to get new players in. Obviously, less of an issue if you have someone there to like guide you and tell you what to do. So, if people really want to get new players involved, you're going to need to be the guide, right, to show them, you know, all the stuff they need to know to get into it. But yeah, I, I think as far as accessibility goes, I think the material accessibility right now is the big issue for new players. I don't think that the rules are excessively complicated because I don't, I don't know, they're not more complicated. They're just different now. They're different. Yep. 
I think we should dive into a listener question, though. Should we uh, go into one of these guys? Let's do it. All right. So this one comes from Adam Kempers, and this is paraphrased because it wasn't exactly a question when I got it. Um, but so the paraphrase is, what are your thoughts on max loadout points making in-person play very messy? I have seen this, and it is frustrating. <laughs> um, I, I do not fault an excited player for wanting to put as many cards as possible on every ship possible. But if you can't keep that stuff straight, man, it is hard <laughs> to figure out what your opponent has going on. Well, it's just an artifact of squads are generally bigger now with the new point system and loadout. Like, I mean, it's not ridiculous to expect that players will average at least five ships um, right now, especially because that's kind of encouraged by the current state of objectives. Um, but man, there are a lot of cards going out now. When I was squad building and I realized how many things I could put out there and how many copies of Elusive I could play, like that was pretty wild. Uh, you know, Adam, back in my day, we had these tiny little upgrade cards. Uh, <laughs> you could fit a whole bunch of those on a table, no problem. So clearly, Carson's solution is that every upgrade card needs to be reconfigured into the smaller format and released. Just cut them in half. Yeah, It'll just be cut them. Scissors the art are off. Who cares about can we aesthetics? Get, can we get AMG official licensed scissors? Um, so this question also makes me think, so, uh, one people have brought up, people have brought up, um, is the game more complicated or difficult now? Um, and there's different levels of complication. This is a topic I could dive into for hours cause I find it really interesting, but there's different types of complexity in games. So there is kind of what you call maybe uh, game state complexity or like what you have to be aware of while you're playing the game. And if you have larger squads where you're full of upgrade cards, there are a lot more events and abilities and triggers you do have to pay attention to. Um, and that's going to maybe be something that becomes relevant. Um, it seems right now when you're just kind of spamming upgrade cards, not every card is super relevant right now. And even if you're throwing in a bunch of mid-tier pilots with pilot abilities, a lot of those mid-tier pilots don't have very good pilot abilities that come up very much. So it's kind of a mixed bag. I would see this maybe being an advantage that existing players have where they're just used to tracking all those things. And if you're new and you have, I don't know, 25 cards on your side of the board and they all do different things, that would maybe be a little confusing. So I don't know. If you're introducing someone to the game, just give them hull upgrades or shield upgrades. Eats up a lot of points. One thing I will say, and I know all three of us have these, is you can do a little product plugged here. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. I feel terrible, but uh, there's a, a guy named Adam. He lives in Poland. Not he's Adam a, Kempers. No. Um, <laughs> he's got a Facebook group called Enter, and he makes these cool little X-Wing like card folders that hold all of your cards together in your list. And especially in this new format, they are fantastic. Like I've used, uh, there's a couple different sizes. I've used them now for probably like two years, and I don't think I could ever go back. Uh, and that's one way you could keep your stuff organized in this world of dozens of upgrade cards. Check those out. I would highly recommend. Here's another question uh, from listener Jonathan Proctor. He asked, do you feel that scenarios and victory points, understanding that they may change over time, will lead to more or less depth in how X-Wing strategy works? And then a follow-up to that as well. How do you view tactical and strategic depth as a factor for or against a game? One can argue that a shallower game may lower entry barriers but feel unsatisfying to the existing community. Is it important for us to talk about how we feel about the scenarios before we try to answer this question? It's probably That's why I was kind of segueing into talking about scenarios. So I think this is a good, good discussion starter. Um, I, I do feel like the community's perspective on scenarios, how to approach and play them, 
uh, will definitely shift over time. I've seen other gaming communities that like do incorporate scenarios um, and like the core list of scenarios kind of become like muscle memory to, to an extent of you, you play those scenarios enough. You, you do come into them with, with a game plan. And, and so then that does create, you know, a, a bit of depth and, and metagame of, you know, knowing how to approach the scenario. Well, okay. Um, then that does create layers within that um, with your opponent as well. I think my my biggest issue with um, scenarios right now is that, and I was I think of the three of us maybe the most excited to have scenarios be potentially or objectives be a part of X Wing just because I hadn't played other miniatures games like you guys where that's kind of common because um, X Wing I guess is kind of the exception to that or was before when it was dogfighting primarily. Um, one of my biggest things is that it it seems like from the games I've played and from the feedback I'm hearing from other people, the games tend to be quite a bit shorter. Um, where you're playing games in, I don't know, five or six turns, and they resolve. I had We had someone, a question coming up, I think, who um, most of their games that they played ended in three turns. Um, and that's a big shift for X-Wing, and that seems to be a, a result of the way scenarios score points, where like you can score points so quickly in the game that combined with destroying ships that you you feel like you barely roll into a game before it's over. It's It's so weird because... We, we talked about this in an episode a while back about how like my strategy as a player was to force the end game as quick as possible so i would i would try to play a game as fast as i could um not fast playing but try to play the game quickly um and it disturb isn't the right word but it, it upsets me to hear that games are ending this quickly knowing that you know you have to the condition is 20 points right mm-hmm. to win to win a game or table your opponent uh, either of which is you know, easily attainable, but within three game turns, like that's really quick. Like, <laughs> I don't know a lot of other games that with the pace of play that X-Wing has um, that you could win a game that fast. Yeah. And I think it is kind of a problem in that, like you do have to spend a little more time setting up X-Wing now uh, just because you have to set up the scenario. So like, I feel like you're putting in more. It does. It takes so long. Yeah. You're putting in more time on the front end. And then like for a few, a few game rounds doesn't feel great. And I know people have been arguing that this is a result of um, people not understanding the scenarios very well, but I, I would only see that going one direction, right? I don't see people getting a better understanding of objectives and that dramatically increasing the round count. Because, I mean, if you can score in a lot of these scenarios, you can score on round one, especially if you have ships that are equipped for that where you can get early actions like boosts. Um, I don't see having a better understanding of the game to, like increasing the amount of rounds it takes to complete. If anything, it might go even faster. Do you think those shorter round lengths are more due to scenario um, scoring or um, you're able to fit more into lists now? Both. And I think the thing too about, you know, depending on which scenario you're playing, it, it does force an engagement. You know, if there are scenarios where it takes a little longer to score those points, then sometimes killing your opponent's ships is the way to get points faster. So yeah. in, in turn, scenarios have... In, decrease the amount of time it takes to engage or at least force an engagement so i think that that plays a big part in that well and like i the scenario points are relevant i mean the last um assault the satellite arrays i played where you're trying to just get 
you know, a higher number of shifts next to each satellite to score a point there. Like, I got more than half my points, or just above half my points, from the scenario. And then kind of closed out the game by destroying a couple ships. Which led to a really weird situation where, like, I, I had, I think between the two of us, it was 13 ships on the table. And by the end of the game, only four were destroyed. And the game was just over on turn five. Um, which just Weird. was like, oh, I feel like <laughs> I don't, I don't feel like we fully even played a game, you know. And it's it's a very different feel than second edition X Wing was. Um, I think to get to Jonathan's point too of, um, do they lend to more or less depth in how X Wing strategy works? It's gonna be hard to say because if they're gonna change and change somewhat regularly, it's gonna depend very much on the scenarios. Um, right now, I think a lot of the scenarios feel very similar. Well, I mean, is it? Is it chance encounter? Is that the one that's called where it's basically yeah, just chance standard, standard X-Wing? Um, but it's not because you need to have at least one ship within range two of that center objective. Otherwise, you're just giving up points. Um, and I found that playing that one, I think I've played that one twice. Um, like like I said, it is it is fundamentally kind of just like dogfight X-Wing, but it, it doesn't feel the same. And I, I can't quite put my finger on why. Mm. Maybe that's just because like, it's quote unquote a scenario now. And maybe that just has a different connotation in my head because I play other games with scenarios. Um, but it, I don't know. It's interesting that mental state, that difference between that scenario and just standard dogfight. Well, and like this, and this is just an idea I had out there too, but like for assault, the satellite array um, where, I mean, you can have a decent amount of ships on each side. And even then it's actually pretty hard to contest the actual objectives. Like, even when you have a lot of ships, just because there's five out there. I wonder if maybe that, if that scenario was just, like, there were three objectives, but they were worth two points apiece or something, so you were actually encouraged to contest them, that might be a better system where, like, have the objectives be a smaller part of the actual board, but be worth more so people are actually willing to fight for them and get more ships up next to them. I think, you know, specifically about, you know, tactics and strategy with the scenarios and having point-based objectives what fundamentally changes is the ship count, right? You talked mm. about in one of your games, Tim, having 13 ships. I don't I don't think this is a form of X-Wing where three ship lists are viable anymore just because you're already at a deficit of not having enough bodies to get points on objectives. Yeah. And if you lose a ship, it's it's worth drastically more because not only are you trying to crawl back and get ship points, but you're still trying to get objective points, which is exponentially harder if you lose one of your three ships like i was a big fan of triple aces and i just don't think that i could play that list anymore at least not competitively and expect to you know be making cuts well and also coming from a background of you know playing a bunch of other games that have um objectives scenarios like for me what made those appealing was that those games were you know built from the ground up with that in mind yes um and, and so list building around you know having to account for whatever scenario you, you might come up with like is an interesting challenge because that's built into the list building and and so like x-wing doesn't really have that except i guess take more ships mm -hmm. and, and and so like I, I think to say it doesn't feel well executed feels like an understatement and and like for me it like it's just not why i played x-wing there was just other games 
that did that better. And then X-Wing didn't need to be that for me. I think one change that absolutely will need to come is either somehow through points or whatnot, the ship count in list needs to go down, or we need to see a change to how many ships the scenarios demand. Because right now it seems like they just demand a lot of bodies, which is obviously going to skew people towards doing lists that have higher count ship counts. I haven't played a list with less than four ships in a month. And prior to that, rarely ever played a list that had more than three. So already a big shift, at least for me there. All right. And of course, uh, second part of Jonathan's question, um, how do you view the tactical and strategic depth as a factor for or against a game? Um, Shallower games being lower barrier to enter, but maybe lower barrier to entry or maybe feeling unsatisfying to players who are more experienced. Um, I think that is an issue we're going to hit here. Um, People talk about lowering the skill floor and not lowering the skill ceiling and that's very hard to do um it's a little too early on to say exactly what's changing in x-wing 2.5 but i think it's it's fair to say that if there's a lowering to the skill floor for this game that will have some effect on kind of the skill ceiling okay hot takes do you think uh are we are we ready for that question is (laughs) Is this uh, new AMG version, is this a more skill, less skill game? I don't know if it's more or less. It's a different skill. Yeah, and I think the biggest issue is not really about, like, does it demand more or less skill? It's Does it re- demand enough skill that will encourage people to play it long term over time? Because I've played plenty of games that I enjoy that are pretty low on the skill ceiling, but I don't play them that much because you kind of max out you know, how, how you can, how good you can get at the game. One thing I always loved about X-Wing first edition or second edition was that I felt like the skill ceiling was always quite a bit higher. And obviously that came at the cost of, it's kind of a hard game to get into, but like there was always that aspiration. I could go like, Oh, I want to be good enough to make top cuts at these premier level events. Right. There was always that next level I could go to. Whereas if that was missing, I probably would not be really, I would not be podcasting about X-Wing for certain. Yeah. I mean, I, I still felt like I had, so much more to learn about x-wing like i i could grow as a player quite a bit more and now now there's all these new skills um i i I don't know i don't feel like no one really has an answer to this and we really won't know probably for a few years like i mean thinking back to the first few years of like the launch of x-wing like people weren't that good at the game compared to like where it ended like um, and, and, and so like, like you need these players to, to invest that time and, and like demonstrate, Oh, like actually you do have so much more. You need to learn about this. Um, let me show you why you're wrong. Um, it, like you, you do need those people to, to decide and like kind of become experts to, and build that depth. Like blocking was just like such a like discovered thing that could be like this huge like like it is this huge skill and, and like it was i think more than just one skill like it, it it was so many things and like games were won and lost on that and like it was awesome um i think you're getting onto a good point too carson where i think that's one of the big holdups for me about 2.5 edition and one of the reasons i'm not very excited about it is that there's a lot of the game has developed by people playing it over the course of, you know, like the last 10 years. And what we're seeing here is all these changes. To me, it is a different game. 2.5 is a just a different game than 2nd Edition was. 
Um, and I have to make that evaluation of like, oh, do I want to spend the next several years learning for this new game all the lessons I had to learn in the old game? Um, and that's going to be a big question for people who have been playing the game for a while. It's not a big question for people who are new, because when you're new, you're new. So you're always entering at that kind of zero zero threshold. Um, but if you've been playing this game for a while, you have to ask yourself, okay, do I want to spend a bunch of time learning all the skills um, that this game demands until I can get to the point where maybe I was at the end of second edition? And that's a tall ask for in franchise players. Well, and let's let's get to one of those particular changes because, like, I, I think like blocking um, and you know kind of what happens at range zero, like. I, I think Tim, that was probably um, a part of the game you enjoyed quite a bit. Um, when I watch your games, like it was always okay. Well, Tim's kind of—he's trying to line up a block basically every turn here. Um, it, you know, like uh, you could kind of, you know, you, you you get to know these players, you get a read on them. Like blocking was was your thing. Um, how do you feel with the big changes to how, how ships function at range zero? Uh, so I started referring to these three rule changes. Um, there's three rule changes I refer to together as the big three here. There's road, which is random order after dials. So you set dials first, then determine player order. There are range zero attacks now, where you can, when you uh, are at range zero of another ship, you can still attack it. You just don't get to really modify it much, if at all. And then there's the overlap rules, where if you bump a friendly ship, you might take damage. And if you bump an enemy ship, you can actually take a stress to get a focus or calculate. Um, and I bring these up together because they are all interconnected to me and I it's it's frustrating for me to talk about because I do not like any of these rules um, primarily because they've hit at the core of what I enjoyed about X-Wing whereas if you would have asked me in second edition before I got all these new rule changes like oh why is an X-Wing a game I should be interested and in? what what makes X-Wing special I would you know go into tangents and tirades about how oh it's really interesting because there's this core bluffing mechanic to the game and you both get to operate with uh, a shared set of knowledge and you have to make decisions and you have to anticipate exactly what your opponent's going to do um which is like a core of any good bluffing game right like oh the quality of my decision is based entirely on the quality of my opponent's decision and to me that was amazing like that is what i love about x-wing and obviously as you mentioned carson i loved blocking strategies because of that where it's a, sometimes that's a high stake you have to take where like i'm gonna throw a ship out here somewhere weird and this is something like as a new player you could discover like oh why did he do that maneuver and then your high initiative ace bumps it doesn't get actions and gets blown up right like that's an interesting mind game because often it comes at a big cost but the payoff is amazing um road in sorry to interrupt but would you like me to read a um a description that maybe exactly summarizes what you liked about us <laughs> <laughs> you you have a description of what i i don't think i've written a description but go ahead um well i think amg wrote one for you here oh no uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh players were asked to engineer an obfuscated advantage that was difficult <laughs> to assess with fresh eyes one where they had to force their opponents into traps or had to force their opponents into traps or scenarios that were advantageous to themselves while avoiding their opponents' attempts to do the same. Okay. Yeah, and this one is, oh man, people who do not like uh, the 2.5 rule set have brought this quote up a lot. The um, memes, man. The memes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and it's funny, too, because it's... Uh, so actually, this gets to a point, too, where I think this is kind of where the game is diverging from what I enjoyed about the game, um, which is... 
I think the developers, and not that this is exactly, I'm not even claiming they're making the wrong decision because, you know, changing the rule sets has a lot of implications and I might not understand all of the reasoning they might do it because there's obviously like business reasons and getting new players into the game reasons. So really, I can only evaluate things based on what I enjoyed about X-Wing. Um, it seems very much to me that the direction the game is going and the way it's being designed is that what I enjoyed about the game, like the core things, like the bluffing and the setting maneuvers and trying to figure out what my opponent is going to do, are not things that the folks designing the game liked about X-Wing um, at all. And I think that you see that in these big three rule changes where um, Road introducing the randomness of where matched initiatives activate, where you're not sure. Well, that suddenly throws a whole area. I can't just anticipate what maneuver my opponent's going to set. It's entirely contextual on the order in which ships move, which if anyone's played with Road and has played X-Wing for a little while, that's a huge deal. Like you have to change the way you set maneuvers because suddenly before when you had quote unquote perfect knowledge or at least a shared knowledge between the two players of what order ships are going to move in, you'd make decisions based on that. Um, I've encountered it in games since we started playing with Road where I didn't have a great option just by virtue of the randomness, where my opponent maybe had a good option either way at a shared initiative, but I only had one good option if, like, I only had a good option depending on what the die roll was, and I couldn't possibly know that. Um, and, and I don't I play... think X-Wing is a game that needed more randomness in it. Didn't you and I play an early game of Road, Tim, where it went back and forth like every other turn, but it never felt like you had an advantage. Right. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a, um, I remember, I remember that game too, where there, there was this, um, there's this false notion that because something's 50, 50, that it's fair. And that's not exactly, that's not just how statistic works. Um, too bad. We don't have a statistics expert on this podcast. Unfortunately, none um, of us are math. people. None of Come us. on. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> offended, offended over in the corner. I'm not offended. Um. <laughs> but Carson, that's right, right? Like there's a there's a false perception that because something's 50-50, like that it would be fair in a game. And that's not the case, right? Listen, I I am the kind of player who would rather play first every time with my high initiative aces than have a random player order. Um I would rather always lose that and be player one. Like <laughs> Well, and honestly, too, and I think there was always this myth of um, uh, uh, zombie games, people would call them. Um, and I'm not dismissing it's a vocal the value. minority <laughs> calling it that, but sure. But this idea that be based entirely on initiative and your bid, that a game would be unwinnable, um, which my the reason I contest that is not that there's not a huge advantage incurred with a bid system where people could not spend their points to guarantee that their sixes move last. Like there was a huge advantage and it might be an advantage that is so dramatic. It is hard to, if not near impossible to overcome. But the thing about X-Wing was their counterplay existed. And the fact that you build squads played into that. Right. And yeah, I'm, I'm not going to take a shot at anyone specifically, but the, the solution to the problems that they think they solved with these big three changes, to put it plainly, was just skill. Like, just fly better. Mm. Like, if you keep bumping into something, okay, fly away then. <laughs> right. Go the other direction. Like, and I don't know. It. I'm going to keep falling back on this. It's like they're just solving problems by creating different problems, which aren't solutions. Well, right. And I think, John, I think what's interesting is that that is maybe the point, and it's hard for us to know exactly. Because, like, maybe the whole point is that 
and we could never know this, that not, there were not enough people getting into X-Wing to sustain it because it was too difficult to get into. And that's a really hard thing to like comprehend in that like, oh, I the game needs to demand less skill or a different kind of skill generally, sure. or at least needs to be way easier for people to play in order to get people to buy miniatures. Because at the end of the day, they're making a product, they're trying to sell it, which is a, a reasonable goal, right? Well, to buy miniatures, Tim, they have to release miniatures. I haven't <laughs> doing that either. So. Also fair, but that's not entirely the fault of uh, the new people playing the game, right? Um, but I, what, yeah, what really gets to me and makes me sad about the changes is I feel like so many of them were made... I don't know. I think they just kind of shift shift where the randomness is coming from or where the where the trouble's coming from. You shift your problem down, right? If the problem before was that players could take massive bids and that they could um, always make sure that their high initiative pilots went after, um, now you've just shifted the problem to a, a turn-by-turn basis where it's totally random. And I don't think that necessarily makes it better, right? It makes it different. And some people will like it and some people won't. Um. Yeah, and and there was like a narrow window, what back in the summer, late summer, where they were like, okay, we're going to address this, and we're going to just have a random order at the start of the game. Um, you know, going back to John's skill argument, uh, someone who did win a tournament during that window and <laughs> um, like lost that coin flip at the beginning of the game a decent amount of times, like that was not a deciding factor in any of those games. Whereas I feel like a random road coin flip, like, yeah, those those would be a, a deciding factor. Like, um, it, it's like if you give the players the information at the beginning of the game, they can adjust for that. Um, but there's only so much you can adjusting you can do, like, on, on this, like, smaller basis mm-hmm. that, that road happens at. Like, to, to win, in, it, like, playing first required a lot more um, planning and, and thinking ahead and, and like... Mm-hmm. setting up those advantages or, or you know uh obfuscated uh <laughs> traps or, or whatever uh that were you know the parts of the game i loved so much um like yeah you had to work for it you had to think a little bit um and it was fine i i think the thing carson too is um when we're talking I, like i mentioned before there's not perfect solutions there's trade-offs right i think the bid system was not good i am glad the bid system is gone um i think having that advantage for a lot of different reasons where you could basically make your i6s guaranteed to go last we needed to get rid of they they had mentioned and amg had talked about this devs had talked about this that they'd try different things where it was either random at the start just make it completely random or random every turn before dials and they ended up doing random every turn after dials right um i would have preferred to do random just at the start of the game um not that i think that's a perfect system because that obviously also has problems right where if you kind of have the same advantage one player might have it's just determined randomly versus determined by a player decision when list building but that actually does have implications in list building where suddenly if a player can't guarantee that they can set that advantage that's going to change the way that they build lists so suddenly those i don't know triple six lists are just not going to exist because a certain percentage of players are like well i don't want to go for triple sixes and then lose out on initiative randomly, I'm going to have to build my list differently. So again, hey, not a I perfect... took triple sixes to Vegas and I think I quote unquote won the road roll every single <laughs> time in all of my games leading up into the cut. So just well, saying it, it, it can happen. And that's the thing too, is I think road made my games less enjoyable for me. And I don't think they actually honestly hurt I sixes that much. No, 
They did like, not. Like, I just think they hurt a lot of other things I loved about the game more. And that's, I mean, and like, to summarize, too, because I, I maybe feel the strongest about these three rules, the road changes, attacks at range zero, um, and then the overlap rules, particularly being able to take a focus when you stress and bump. I feel like, as I've played with these rules now, my decisions matter less each turn. And as the games have been shorter... I feel like I have fewer turns, I'm making fewer decisions, and they don't matter as much. And I think it's made the game dramatically less interesting for me. I have definitely played games in the last month or so where I don't care where my ship is or where it's pointing. I will just dial in a blue move if I'm stressed. Because if I bump, great, I still get a focus. Like, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, and, and I think the hardest part for me with these rules is that, like, I, I don't really complain about the new squad building just because that's something that needs to be balanced over time. Obviously, it's the first release of it, so, like, there's going to be changes that have to come to it. That I understand. But road, range zero attacks, and overlap rules hit at the core of what X-Wing was to me that I, I like, don't think the game is, like, worth getting into at this point. And I think they kind of doubled down, and I've talked about this a little bit a couple times, um... They doubled down on this on this problem of, of player order with introducing both road and the idea of deficit scoring. And I think deficit scoring is fine. Like that was a good solution to that problem. Right. It's almost and unnecessary at this point. Maybe it is a little bit and, necessary with the point scale change. And what exactly what I what I have a fundamental problem with now is that you could be in a scenario where you really want to build a list a specific way, um, and it only gets you to nineteen points and you're automatically just giving your opponent a point and that's not you're not opting to do that as much anymore like so in the in the 200 point scale you were opting to not take things for a bid and now like you could have a four or five ship list that only comes out to 19 points and there's no way to get to 20 and i think that feels a little bad now um worse than it did before where maybe you'd get to like 199 um i think I don't know. I think deficit scoring now in this new squad building format is a little unnecessary, personally. Right. It makes sense in a 200 point, like very granular system where, yeah, like you could always get to 200. Um, or if not, right, you made a, a slight, you know, miscalculation. And, and one that point one point matter, right? wouldn't really probably make that much of a difference. Uh, but you shrink that scale down. Well, that one point makes a pretty big difference. Yeah, and I think for people who are maybe a little less familiar with the scoring system, it's like um, holding on, like holding points is actually a, a strategy. One of the reasons that a deficit scoring system was needed was that like, it, oh, if you can protect points by not spending them, your player, your opponent can't access that unless they table you, right? So you're not allowing them points. Um, w w really, I agree with John here where it's awkward is that the squad building system, like you could land on 19 points and suddenly you can't take the ships you wanted to take because you really don't want to lose that one point. Um, I think there are answers to this. If I remember correctly, I think it was, I don't really playing the Star Wars Destiny, the card dice game before. Um, one thing they did when you had extra points to spend was you could get like plot cards, which gave you like little one-time advantages, ways to spend that point. I could see them trying something like that in X-Wing and it not being a big deal. Like, I don't know, you can get a calculate on your first turn or something like for one shit. Like there's a way you could build that into the system, I think, and score it somehow or you add it to another ship i don't know but um as long as you could build the point into another ship i think that would be fine but i don't know it's just like one of those little little things like and i, I don't see people list building let's just say for an example it's like 17 intentionally because there's no benefit to that right mm -hmm. like so 
I mean, just just do away with deficit scoring at this point. Like, what what is the harm of I of I think doing really that? people holding on to points, especially without half points scoring. I think that is probably the holdup why they're going to keep it and why maybe it is necessary in the new point system. Like people hiding two points away in their list that you can't access. Like I don't I don't see them get it. But I get I get your point, John. Where the main reason for deficit was right, but like I guess which which of those scenarios feels more common or a bigger deal? Right. Um. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my opinion, John's scenario sounds more likely, but I, we know those did exist, right? We know like holding on to points did exist, um, and so it probably will still exist. But it would be hard to hold on to two when that still could be a, a, the difference between you having a ship or not. So like one would be, I think, the realistic target. But there aren't that many two point ships now, um, for a lot of for a lot of reasons. All right, guys, do you want to do a few more uh, listener questions? Got some good Let's ones here. I think it. we covered most most of the rules there, at least to some degree. All right, this I mean, one... I feel like we could spend hours talking about how we feel. Yeah, maybe we can we can focus it <laughs> I down feel a hurt. Bit with these <laughs> Let's with these listener <laughs> questions. <laughs> Um, let's yeah, let's get to something we can answer people's specific questions. All right, uh, this one's from Robert Elliott. I missed your perspectives. Oh wait, that's just him saying nice things. I missed your perspectives and can't wait to hear your thoughts on the state of the game now. Well, thank you, Robert. We're excited to share. Hopefully, I want to hear how you feel about us after yeah, this episode. Yeah, please, please let us know how disappointed you are in us. Um, my only question is about the longevity of the game as it is now. The devs have made it clear that all the changes were to prolong the life of the game and ensure it is healthy and relevant for a very long time. Is two point five going to accomplish this? Um, well, this gets back to my question of why why these decisions were being made. Um, things we'll never know. Was X-Wing so inaccessible to new players that people were just not buying into the game and therefore not buying product? That's one big question. I think there's two lanes in which you have to answer this question, and that's the longevity of competitive play versus like community play. I think your game store weeknights are going to be just fine. I think the people that are playing in those will continue to play in those and you know probably enjoy scenario play and if you don't you don't that's okay um i i don't feel positively about the future of competitive play under 2.5 let's see that's interesting i i think i would have taken this a very different direction i think it's very possible 2.5 could have some legs just rule wise uh, as far as um you know, the longevity of the game, I think right now is a very dangerous time. I think like X-Wing is at its least accessible and it's nothing to do with the rules. Um, it, it's just that, okay, the product you can buy, it doesn't have that rules available. AMG's website is in a pretty rough spot, right? We don't have an official squad builder and squad building is at its like most complex. It, like, I think that's really problematic right now. Like I think at this point, AMG's had to X-Wing for about two years. This transition has not gone well. I think we might get to a game that, that does have legs, um, but it's not there right now. I, I also want to add on to that too, just so it doesn't seem like people are think we're dumping on the AMG devs. A, a lot of what is going wrong here is, there are things that are out of their control. Like they are Asmodee North America, the company that obviously operates atomic mass games. Like they are not allowing their, um, 
employees or requiring their employees to go participate in conventions. So like they can't run, they couldn't run Adepticon right now. So they're sending material. So like there's a degree to which the decisions are outside of their control. And there's also things like the production of miniatures right now. So it's not like I can't say entirely whose fault it is. Right. And, and, and so like none of my issues were about rules, but like that is the reality, right? Yes. Like they're, things aren't really accessible right now. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe part of my opinion is swayed because of uh, the bubble that at least Tim and I are in here. I, I think that Minnesota as a region has a, a very good group of competitive players who who do very well and have enjoyed this game for a very long time, who have not been quiet about their disapproval of these changes. Um you know, there, there's some there's some pretty good players in this state that do very well consistently at competitive tournaments who are very put off by the new 2.5 rules. And I think just being around that and, and being a competitive player myself, um, primarily kind of feeling that way makes sense to me. Um, I get that that's not a representation of how people feel everywhere, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I think what I've noticed, at least, you know, via the social medias, um, it seems to me that some of the more competitive people are the ones who are more quiet right now, which mm. I think is interesting. Um, I, I will just, I guess, give a little update on Colorado. Like, I think it's the exact opposite there. Um, I think I am like me not liking the changes as a competitive player. Like I am in the minority of, I, I think, competitive players here in Colorado. Yeah, it's it's hard to say because I think it I think it honestly honestly is pretty divided amongst competitive players. And what I'd bring to this question here from Robert is there's a perspective you have to have on what keeps this game alive. Um, people like us who value X Wing primarily because it's competitive and we like to really dive into the nitty gritty about it. Um, or even if you're just a generally enfranchised player. So maybe you don't play at regionals, you don't you don't travel for X-Wing, right? There's different categories of people who will invest time and money to travel for X-Wing. Maybe you're really invested in the game, but you're only going to play in your local community, but you still like to listen to podcasts because you want to stay up to date. That's a fine category to be. I think we kind of cater to really our, our listener base is probably somewhere between like people who are actively competitive and people who just enjoy people really deep diving into a game that they love. Um one thing to keep in mind is the majority of people, I guess I don't have numbers to back this up, the majority of people buying X-Wing ships probably don't even know X-Wing podcasts exist. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I would assume that probably most of the sales are probably coming from, like, Barnes & Noble now at this point, And just, like, people, oh, I love Star Wars. These miniatures are cool. They're pre-painted. We'll play on the kitchen table once every two months or something. Um, so I think a lot of times us competitive players tend to overvalue how important we are to the game just existing. Like, and the, the reality is if the competitive scene goes away, it might not really have that big of, and I'm not saying it is going to go away, but it might not have that big of an impact on the game just existing. Well, and even in the spectrum of competitive games, like X-Wing is so niche, like we're such a small competitive community compared to other games. Like we're, we're a drop in the bucket compared to games like 40k. Um, but I think, you know, we have some very prominent voices in our community who, you know, feel ways about some of these changes and some of them are voicing those opinions and some aren't, which, you know, good or bad. It's, it's important, I think, for people to know how everyone's feeling, um, and to not diminish others for feeling differently. Is that a segue there, John? (laughs) 
I think there's oh so what a question I wanted to bring up too so this is actually kind of one I've heard that I don't think people have had a thorough discussion on but so I'll tie in two questions here this first one's from Zach S um, I haven't played with the new rules yet if I'm just playing with friends should I stick to the old 2.0 rules do you predict the rules to change drastically again and then I actually also got a question from a friend of the show Paul Olson but I'm sure John doesn't want me to give him too much time so I don't think I have the specific question here but <laughs> Paul brought up the question Paul's of, great. Uh, <laughs> no, we love Paul. Um, Paul brought up the question of, do we see if there's a future for like an ongoing second edition, like 2.0 community for the game? Um, and I think these questions are both a little bit interconnected. Uh, well, I think I'm I'm the resident expert on this question because... Um, Carson I plays play... games that are dead, been dead for 15 years. <laughs> I play WizKids <laughs> Pirates Constructible Strategy game, which has been dead for like 12 years now. And I will say, Zach... You know, if you're just playing with your friends, you do you. Uh, yeah. It's going to be just fine. Um, like the the, biggest... the pirates rules have not been updated for <laughs> a long time. Still fun. Still having a great, time, a great time with it. Pirates of the Spanish Main. I remember the ads for that. Um, I feel like um, I still at least once a day see someone in a swap and sell or even just like a community page talking about how they still play 1.0 with their friends. Yeah. Which it's like, it makes me smile every time because it's been, it's been like four years. So like, I think that kind of answers Zach's question. It, like it's... if you want to play 2.0 Zach, you have the bandwidth to do so. And this was, this was my argument, John, when we switched to second edition, which I think was absolutely necessary and it wasn't a perfect transition but like it was a necessary change from a competitive perspective. If you were a person just playing first edition X-Wing and like you were not aware of the weird combos and rules timing issues, like X-Wing out of the box probably felt just fine. Like until you knew of the ways you could abuse the rules or just like play patterns to be really successful. Like, Oh, I'll just fly Sunter fell straight at my opponent. Oh, he died right away. He's just okay. Like, if you're just playing that level of X-Wing and you're having a good time, like it, you second edition would have seemed completely unnecessary. Well, and like, I think if I go back, like if I was to play, like, I guess an outdated version of X-Wing, I'd probably play first edition um, because it doesn't require like a curated points list. Right. So second edition does require, right. Those kind of updated yes. points where I'd have to pick, you know, which version of the points I wanted to use. Whereas first edition, like they're printed on the card. Um, and so like, that's what I would probably. And they with. were never eroded. <laughs> so I, yeah, I didn't really think about it. Like I did keep all my first edition cards. Um, didn't do the ritual burning or, or no, nope, I literally burned mine. <laughs> they're gone. Um, <laughs> if I'm going back, I'm playing original 2.0. Right. And you know what, John, you can just write numbers on those cards. Now, no one will stop you. I actually have a meticulous record of every points update. I keep those PDFs in a file. So I, Zach, if you want to meet up and play 2.0, man, we can. We'll go back to August 2018 and play. <laughs> so to, answer, to actually answer Zach's question, the big thing here is like, if there's new content released, there's not an official source curating point costs. So that is something you'll have. Now, that would probably be something we could kind of abstract from the new squad building point costs. You could kind of figure out where to land them. Um I would say if you're getting into the game, you probably want to get into the new rule set just because that way you can go to a game store and you'll have a common point, a common source of truth. And again, if you're a new player, you won't know. Okay. Now, and, and now I guess going to Paul's side of that, um, who I guess we know is 
a little bit more enfranchised uh, in, in X-Wing. Um, and entitled. Yeah. Well, those are hand in hand. Um, <laughs> but his titles are worth zero now, so it's okay. Wrecked. Um, <laughs> you know, like, we did sort of have a trial run at this. Um, you know, during the... I guess very long transition phase between fantasy flight and AMG. Like mm-hmm. there were not official events. Right. Um, they were all community run online. Right. Um, and, and even now we've had some in person community run events. We have great community leaders here, like particularly Dion Morales, like the work he did on the galaxy series during the pandemic. I think we wouldn't have a game to talk about if he didn't put in that work. Absolutely. And so we have that example of community leaders putting on these events uh, for a game that like functionally isn't really being that much supported. And we had quite a lot of players invested in those events. Um, There were amazing prizes. I mean, I, I think my, my trophy from FFG is, is, kind of embarrassing compared to the one um, Gold Squadron gives out. Uh, (laughs) Like, you know, we had the XTC that's been going on for quite a while. That's all community run. Um, Carson, you're rambling. Yeah, I'm I'm just saying, like, there's all these great community run things. Do those stop if it becomes not official? Like, there was kind of a weird, like, it's sort of not official, but Someday it will be official again. It was it was kind of the limbo we were in. And now it could kind of branch into, well, this is the future direction. This is the past. We, we could still have community leaders for both of those. So, OK, I think so, you'll just see more of it. So here's my take, though. OK, so as far as the for the the you might call it wishful thinking, the idea that like, oh, we can have competitive 2.0 that is ongoing and supportive. Um, there are a few things really standing in the way of that. If if it were to happen, I imagine it would happen over a tabletop simulator, I think, just as the most um, convenient way. You need somebody to take charge or a um, Illuminati to take charge and set point values for new releases. The biggest holdup is you are unlikely to gain new players and you are definitely likely to lose players over time. And that's the biggest. So you, if you imagine that people want to start a competitive 2.0 league, first of all, in person, that's going to be really hard to get people to travel for unofficial events, right? It could be done, but they'll be relatively small, probably compared to even what we have for X-Wing, which is not always huge. Um, the other holdup is that if a new person is coming into the game, they are more than likely going to follow the official rules route, whatever those are. So that if they're going to show up to a game night, they're going to be expecting to play whatever they were aware of as the current rules right now which is confusing hopefully won't be confusing in the future but that's a really hard system to sustain because first of all like a 2.0 competitive scene community curated would be built entirely only on people who are not interested in 2.5 and still want to remain in the game which is going to be a fraction of what we have in the player base and then over time you're going to lose players and you're not i can guarantee you're not going to be gaining them at the same rate if at all um, so it's a beautiful idea. I do not think it's feasible. I, it is funny because you basically just described the path of Warhammer Middle Earth uh, strategy battle game. Um, You're right, Carson. I see those being played <laughs> on every street corner. Well, the funny thing is like, that game is having a, a minor resurgence, um, but that's like, I don't know, 10 dark years. We've got seven um, of, people to show of, up. A very minimal play. 
uh, like a very small community base, a loyal community base, but very small. Um, and now like they're making a, quite a bit more new product for that, but it's, um, so don't give up hope if, if that's what you really want. Um, things maybe change, uh, you know, years down the road. Um, I, but I think but that right is now, kind of the path you would be signing up for. Yeah. Always the, the darker path. All right, this question is from Timothy Underbaki. Do you think that AMG will realize the divide they've created and move to fix it when sales are down? Uh, for that matter, will sales be down? I feel like they've made their stance on that pretty clear. I don't think they care. Okay, well, and I will take a little more like practical approach to that. I think what people need to realize is that if the game is so poorly received now, and I don't necessarily think that it will be like, I think it's pretty divided and there could be a lot of people playing 2.5. If the game like is not well received and people are not buying new expansions, I think it is very unlikely that that's a, okay, we're going to revert everything and go with what the fanboys wanted. And it's way more likely that, okay, we're going to can the game and make a different star Wars game. Asmo days, as long as Asmo days got the license, like if X wing 2.5 is not successful, I don't think there's an X wing three. Good answer. Uh, you did not invite me onto the show to be practical, Tim. So <laughs> that is true. I stand by my opinion, but I, I mean, I agree with you. I think, um, like you know, again, I, wishful I, thinking. Yeah, I mean, I I think your outcome is is likely. Um, I think we we had talked about this. I think kind of like off cast a little bit. Like how how do you go back? You know, if you've made such drastic changes, um, how do you go back? And then as a community, like, do you embrace that, or you just do you just still go away? Like, you know, you you kind of you've gone too far in one direction. Like, you can't fix this for me. Um, and then, you know, the response to that is, okay, well, we'll just make a new game if you're not going to play it. Right. Like it's kind of the two parts to that scenario. Um, yeah, I mean, like for me, it's, it's not really the rules change. It's actually like the statements AMG has made about the game. I love playing. They said, you know what? That's, we didn't think people should have to play that game. That's not a game we want. (laughs) Um, and, and so like. I have just played other games like I haven't really played X-Wing since November because um, they said, here's the door. And, and so that's what I did, um, which was not at all what I wanted to do. But that was my choice. Like they didn't there's not really another choice. Um, and, and, you know, to a degree, both parties there being you and AMG did exactly what they have every right to do. You know, they're the developer of this game now. They can make whatever changes they want. They don't. They don't owe the community anything. Um, and, you know, if that doesn't align with what you want to play, then you're right, Carson. You can you can play other games. And from what, you know, we've talked about, you've had more fun playing those other games mm-hmm. in the last couple months. Yeah, it, it, I mean, like, I definitely miss the competitive side that X-Wing brought. Um, I, like, I think it was a really special place, um, like, to have this, like, very straightforward competitive miniatures game that, like, I... Th- like if I were to describe it, like its closest parallel was like sort of chess. Um, and, and like, it's not that where X-Wing at now is a, is a bad game. Um, it's just, it's not the game that I was excited to play. And like, there were other games that I was like, okay, well, if, if I'm going to play a different game, I want to play this one. Like I, like I never played X-Wing cause it was a star Wars game, which I, I know like a lot of people like, Oh, it's star Wars miniatures. Like that's the game I want to play. Like it was this cool, air combat um tactics game that like i i really enjoyed 
Um, and like if I'm playing more of like a narrative focused game or, or one that even has like random player order and activations, like there's games that have that much more like built into their mechanics to start. Like, yeah, it's just like I like I am pretty particular about the mechanics of my game. Um, and, and I can tell when like there's a solid foundation um, and like they've built a new game with an old foundation. Um, and that's just not for me. Carson, I am right there with you. I think um, I think the best way I can summarize it too, because on a whole, if it hasn't been clear from people listening, like I am not excited about two point five. Um, and for me, I feel like we've moved from X Wing being a game that I actually think was special. Like the reason I've stuck with it for so long was it was that combination of like, oh, this game is awesome. I love playing it, and it happens to be Star Wars, which I also love. And we've gone from a very special albeit maybe simple in the objective you were pursuing and just a dogfight, a game, to an okay objectives game. And the world is full of okay objective or scenario games. So I don't I don't really see anything about X-Wing. The things that, I mean, what I mean to say is the things that made X-Wing special, I think have, are either diminished or gone now, at least to me. Well, and yeah, I, I'm still in line with both of you, but what I think... You know, it, I I played X Wing because it was my non scenario based game. That's what I found interesting about it because I came from a background of playing games with scenarios, and not not only are there other games where the core mechanics are built around scenarios, there are other Star Wars games that are <laughs> scenario based. Right. You know, you've got Legion, and you have Armada, and you have Epic, which honestly, at its core, was a, based around scenarios, and you have. Um, you had Imperial Assault. Granted, that that game is complete, but you could still play it now if you wanted to. And all of those games existed in that same universe and were scenario-based. So it's not like there was necessarily a void of Star Wars scenario-based games. They did exist. So now now there's not really a unique one anymore. Well, and, and like what I like is uh, X-Wing was like a lot of different things to different people. And so like there is a decent amount of players that you know, what was X-Wing to them is, is unchanged. And, and I do think that's great. And I, and I don't want to take away from that. Um, like I don't, I don't want the game to just completely disappear. Cause I stopped playing it. Like I, mm. that, that feels even worse. Um, so for the people who still enjoy it, like, please keep on playing the game. I think that's awesome. Uh, do not let me ruin that for you. Yeah. And I'll reiterate this again. I, th- I think I said it on our last episode, however many months ago, but again, like if you're really excited about 2.5 changes or most of them or what, whatnot, that's a good thing. And I know there'll be a lot of the um, 2.5 diehard fans who will be frustrated that we are expressing a pretty severe negative opinion about the changes. Um, but like we are accepting the reality of like, as we consider these changes more and more and we decide maybe this is not a game we want to play anymore. Like, we accept that as it is. We're not going to sit around and fuss and complain about it, right? We're not going to, like, make a stink about oh, how great it was in the old days. I might do that ironically. So if you see me on uh, Just, you know, once that, a quarter. Yeah, once, <laughs> once every three months, <laughs> which I think is a reasonable, a, a reasonable amount. Um, I, I would like to believe that over the course of at least my time on the show, of the things that we have found that we didn't like, you know, we've been critical, but we've been constructive about at the same time. Like, we're, it's not like we're getting together every week and just sitting for 30 minutes and complaining, right? Like we're, we're looking at both sides and thinking critically about what it is we don't like. And I think there's a difference between doing that and just whining about it. It, it should be 
said, I love the changes they've made to obstacles. I, yes. I have been, <laughs> obstacles are I've been clamoring for that the whole time. I was like, all these once once debris fields came out and like we didn't just have asteroids the whole time. Like once once they started minimizing the consequences of asteroids, um, I've I've wanted more consequence I, obstacles. I, it, guys, I'm just saying, you know, like let's keep the asteroid changes. If we can just roll everything else back, <laughs> I will send a crisp a hundred dollar bill to up to three atomic mass game employees <laughs> up to three i don't know how many work there i don't think it's a lot but i didn't want to overcommit. <laughs> i think that's all of them i think that's all of them but that's just an open offer out there keep asteroids let's go back to the way things were oh guys there's new asteroids in the pride of mandalore pack and they're purple oh man they're so cool man see that even bothered me when there was two different um color aesthetics for the uh, gas clouds like new gas clouds or the superior gas clouds. <laughs> but like I could not mix and match them because their vibe was different. Oh, oh yeah. I'm going to say though, if you're a new player getting an X-Wing now, which interesting time to get into it. Um, the only way to play is with three pro rocks. That's the largest asteroids you can find anything else. That's a uh, new player nonsense. Yes. Um, <laughs> pro rocks or no rocks. I hope that doesn't go away. Like that would be really sad if, <laughs> if, if that part of X-Wing, like that stayed true from like, first edition into second edition and if, if that goes away oh, that that will really bum me out all right guys one more question from our listeners andy myers hyperspace hazard 2.5 when is it happening has john memorized all the squad and loadout points yet i'm retired <laughs> three-time champ well, i was thinking about that was it three-time or four-time did we do um, it, four it times? was every time. However many times it was, you won every single one I of them. I want to say we did it more than three times. Uh, like five is maybe too many. Four sounds about right. Because um, I know I did it with Paul hosting, one with Tim hosting, and then there was the one where Farmer was a guest. Oh, I hosted one. I don't know which one that was. One. So I think there were four of them. Yeah. Um, I hosted one. one. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. Was that the only one you didn't win was the one you hosted? Uh, Yeah. Probably. And I probably just gave myself some points at the end. So all time champ in 500 million years when the sun burns out and uh, society is waning, I would like the only record of civilization that remains for whatever aliens are out there to be just the four or five episodes of hyperspace hazard we released. I won a game that we made up. So <laughs> perfect. And they'll never be able to understand what the human society immortalized. And they'll never be able to take niche. that away from you. And that nope. this is what this is what outlives us all all right so this was a this was another long one here but as we get to the close of the episode just like last time we wanted to do a little bit of an announcement here i guess not probably the biggest announcement we've ever had on this show um maybe comparable to the announcement of x-wing 2.5 rules um carson and john and i have discussed it we've seen where our opinions are about the game as it is and the direction the game is going and you kind of probably got a vibe from it listening to this episode um but we've decided that Radio TCX is not going to be uh, an ongoing podcast at this point. So we've decided that we're basically, I mean, for the time being, we always reserve the right to, we could come back whenever we want. But um, w there will not be weekly releases of Radio TCX, and we don't really have any plans to cover content in the future, unless, barring, uh, we get really excited and jump back into X-Wing um, the way we used to. Um, and that means, uh, as you've probably seen if you're a uh, patron, which, of course, we've appreciated everyone who's supported us over the years, 
It's really important to us. Um, I've been pausing the billing cycles for the last few months because obviously we weren't actively putting out content, so I wasn't going to take donations in that time. Um, We'll be closing up shop on uh, the Patreon as well. Um, but yeah, Radio TCX is uh, will will not be moving forward into 2.5 edition, right? And and so like I mean I guess we should give a little bit of reason on that and probably picked up the vibe. But like we always wanted to make a show we wanted to listen to, and and a big part of that was well we we don't want to sit here and complain about a game um, for a podcast episode. Like that's not a show we wanted to listen to. It's not a show we want to make, um, and and like. You know, we don't really like a lot of the changes. Uh, and, and so I just see that being a, a continue. You know, if we were to make more episodes, it'd probably be a lot of this vibe. And that's not the show I think any of us want to make. And and so, you know, it, it sucks. Like we really enjoyed uh, podcasting um, and like getting to meet all the listeners. Like it's just been an amazing uh, journey, really. Like. <laughs> And, and, you know, it, it sucks that it ends, but I, I think I'd rather just end it than continue and, and turn it into something that I don't like or I'm not, not proud of anymore. Well, and you guys have been doing this longer than I have, but, you know, it was super enjoyable for me to get a chance to become like an official member of the team um, a couple of years ago. And I think it it's you know, we owe it to ourselves to just take a break from it. I'm, I don't want to speak for you two, but even before the changes for a little while, it, it was hard to find the motivation to record every week. Um, there were definitely a couple episodes that, I'll be honest, felt like a chore. Um, I just wasn't motivated by the game. And maybe that was a byproduct of not going to tournaments and the pandemic. But um, I think, you know, this is this is our way of giving ourselves that much deserved break after, you know, several years of pretty dedicated content creation yeah the 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 long break this time and you know it's not to say that i think we've all kind of have an interest in podcasting now so you might hear content from the future i actually will i plan on keeping radio tcx hosted for the foreseeable future so these episodes are not going to disappear so obviously dive back into those hyperspace hazard uh episodes and look into it but um the other thing i was going to say too is carson john and i are this will not be the last episode of radio tcx we are planning on doing at least one more there as kind of a maybe a retrospective maybe something a little more informal but don't expect this to be the final piece of content we put out on this channel and if we do end up you know pursuing other projects here in the future relating to podcast or gaming you might want to keep an eye on this channel too because i will certainly use this as an avenue for shameless self-promotion of whatever we're putting out there but um i i echo a lot of what carson and john have said in that like Part of this is just, you know, losing interest in the game. We're not as passionate about the game anymore. And part of it's just life is changing, right? Like, I have other things I need to commit time to. And, you know, making a podcast, like both being involved in a game and producing content for it is a big chunk every week. It takes time. It takes a lot. And I realized not doing it for a few months, like, that time is time I need to be spending elsewhere oftentimes. So, um, it's certainly more fun than grading papers, though. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll miss that distraction. That's fair. Um, But yeah, so I mean, a huge, obviously, right now, we'll say a huge thank you. This is not our goodbye, goodbye. But thanks to everyone who's listened to the show over the years, given us feedback, positive or negative. We'll take it all, especially for this episode. I'm sure there'll be a lot of strong opinions. But Uh, don't you remember those? I think my favorite criticisms when we were called uh, Radio FFG, which was was, was (laughs) criticism for us being too positive. Um, (laughs) How the tables have turned. (laughs) These past few months of 
felt like a real 180 on, on that one. But um, you either die a hero or live long <laughs> enough to see yourself become the villain. And we've reached that it is point now. Slightly bittersweet for me because I had I had my podcaster moment at Las Vegas. I had a couple people come up to me and say, "Hey, man, love." radio tcx like love your episodes and it it only took three years of me being on the show for someone (laughs) to do that and now we're not doing it anymore so i'm gonna i'm gonna ride that high as long as i possibly can just enjoy it john a little bit of internet fame minor internet fame for a little while yeah i I will i will miss listeners mixing up me and tim that was always really funny (laughs) it's 2022 tim there's only internet carson i'm still not convinced we're not the same person we sound the same. <laughs> All right. Before we sign off here, do you guys have any th- final words to share? Um, things I'll have to bleep out or edit out afterwards. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure I get to be the last uh, X-Wing North American champion. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> last uh, 2.0 for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say the last X-Wing North American champion. Oof. John? Uh, I I got nothing. All right. Well, thank you all so much. Uh, we're excited. You can still give feedback on this this podcast. So leave us some comments. Tell us what where you think we're right. Tell us how you think we're horribly wrong and we should stick with this game. But um, again, thank you to everyone who's listened over the years. And you will hear from us at least one more time. Can't say when. Yeah. And and if, if there's anything in particular you want from that, let us know. We might not do it, but but we might. <laughs> um, yeah. Let us know. If, if, if there was a farewell episode, what do you want us to talk about on it? Let us know for sure. But Again, folks, thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you one more time. <laughs> yeah, maybe not next week, but at, at some week. point. <laughs> at some point. You don't know. I mean, it's weird not plugging Patreon. Uh, but I just, don't know how you know, to end this. Yeah, uh, yeah, thank you to everyone who did support the show and, and followed us on this journey. It, you know, We wouldn't have done it without you. Yeah, follow us on twitter.com slash Radio TCX. <laughs> <laughs> I moderate that page daily. <laughs> Please check it out. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Someone someone send John a tweet. He's he needs it. Let the past die. <laughs>